We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For 18 years, I've truly been blessed to be a Pacer and a Hoosier. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Fachi. Karis LeVert. People don't realize how good he really is. Lovert, skies high for the jam. Connell pushing again, gets underneath, finds Sabonis for the dunk and the foul. Brogdon for three. Boom, baby! (laughs) Duarte for three, big time shot. Warren lets it fly, yes! T.J. Warren is not human! What is going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and joining me today, his shot might be uglier than Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, but his Pacer takes are better than an Isaiah Jackson block, lead to a steal, lead to a slam dunk. It is the one and only Michael J. Focci. Focci, what's going on, brother? Wow, just a lot to unpack in that statement. <laughs> I have to say, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, has to have the ugliest shot out there. So I don't know if I can take that. It's pretty ugly, Alex. He made the pros, brother. You didn't. Hey, the second overall pick, he will always have that over me. <laughs> but I am happy that the Pacers are, you know, wrapping things up in Summer League. They get a win. Like I said, wins don't really mean a lot in Summer League. It's more of uh, the play on the court. And I think that the Pacers felt good enough to rest Chris Duarte and say that, hey, let's keep him, uh, let's keep him fresh. I think we saw enough. Yeah, I, I think what they saw from Chris Duarte in the first four games was just a player that is polished and well-rounded. I, I've been very impressed with his game. I put this on Twitter last night, so it's not a hot take, but if this is your first time hearing it, I think I've been more impressed, Fachi, with Chris Duarte's defense than I have been his offense. While his offense has been super impressive, he just really knows where to be at at the right time, and I think that that's something, just natural instincts. He's a great defender, and I think that it's something we're not talking about enough. I completely agree because, look, we knew he was, a, you know, an all-defensive pick for the Pac-12. And we're like, okay, yeah, sure. But to be honest, I sold him a bit shy because I felt that, hey, he's a senior. He's 24 years old. He was 23 during the season. This guy should be, you know, better defensively than others. But diving into the numbers a bit, Alex, he averaged two and a half steals and 1.8 blocks. Now, in terms of a, being a two-way player, 
I mean, that puts him at the upper echelon in terms of people in summer league. Uh, I want to say in terms of steals per game, he finished second out of all rookies. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you, you just look at the way he's played in these couple of games and he's been talking. I, I think the best part about that game on Saturday against the Thunder was when they had him wired and, and you could hear him just kind of communicating on defense. And I think Miles Turner pointed this out when he did an interview said that he really likes that Duarte is out there being a vocal leader on the defensive side of things. So yes, I really do believe that Duarte is a, a solid defensive player, but offensively he's no slouch either. I mean, this, this cat shot 48% from three, I believe it was in the summer league. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he, he looked really good. He looked really in control. I mean, there may have been a few plays here and there where he might've got a little ahead of, you know, what was going on. But I think personally for me, very well-rounded player. I really – I don't know how he doesn't get into the rotation to start the season. I mean, he has been that impressive. And I know it's just summer league. I understand it. But he's been that impressive. I think that everything that he's doing will translate to the NBA. And, Alex, we sold him short just now. It is actually over 48% from three on a super healthy – over seven attempts per game from three. Ooh, so yeah. I love what I've seen there. I feel like he's done enough to, to be like, even if you want to be part of that, it's just summer league crowd. How can you deny what you saw on the court in those games? I mean, he, he really, he dazzled. I mean, he looked really good over there. He showed he could be a playmaker. He could shoot. He's confident. He's not afraid to take the big shot. I mean, defensively looked real good. I feel like it would honestly, it would come across as almost a crime if he didn't have a role early on in the season. Are we talking about a starting role? We're talking about being the sixth man. No, we're not. But hey, don't spoil our questions, Fachi. Yeah, okay, sure, sure. Hey, we'll get to it. But I'm just saying he has to have Speak a role. Speak for yourself. Speak for yourself. I'll uh I'll I'll give my answer later. I don't want to spoil any of our great questions we got for our mailbag pod in the second segment, but I do think that you're, you know, what we've seen, like I said, I think he's definitely got himself a chance to really compete for a spot. The only way he doesn't get on the court and get playing time is if other guys behind him have seen what he's doing and they're working that much harder in the offseason. We're just not getting a chance to see it because they're not in summer league. So I thought that was really impressive. Is there anything else from summer league that you want to talk about before we move on? Just I would say Isaiah Jackson, uh, he he showed he flashed a lot of potential. I mean, this guy's a better three-point <laughs> shooter than he was in college. I think he could rebound. He could block shots, which we already knew. I think that he's in a great situation where the Pacers took probably the best player available on the board right there and will just wait and, and give him time to develop. There should be no expectations. Uh, but then moving on to one other thing that I wanted to come to talk about in Summer League, uh, one of the topics, Cassius Stanley's play. Yeah, I, I thought that Stanley played really well at times, honestly. I mean, that was someone that the Pacers were looking to develop. You know, we even heard when Jay Michael was on here, there was plans to play him a little bit more last year, but it just didn't happen. And I thought that Stanley showed that he was an improved shooter. However, Alex, as you know, recently the Pacers uh, made a bit of a change as it relates to Stanley. Yeah, so they pulled his qualifying offer because they just – I, I, I guess I just couldn't find a roster spot to keep him right now because it looks like the two-way contracts are still given out to Dwayne Washington and Amir Abrima. I'm kind of surprised by that because, to me, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to keep Brima on that two-way contract over Stanley because I think Stanley's potential is much higher. But with that being said, the Pacers are pretty deep at the same position that Cassius plays at. So it looks like he's going to be able to compete at training camp. He's been given an invite by the Pacers, but – 
per J. Michael, he can try out really wherever he wants to. So it doesn't have to be just the Pacers training camp that he goes to. I think that he might want to come here because he's familiar with everybody and might feel like he has a better chance of making it. So we'll see what happens. But Keelan Martin, they haven't picked up his option yet. So we'll have to see what they do with that, Fachi. I really believe that when it comes down to it, if they have to end up pulling that from him, they might do it. But quite frankly, they're trying to move on from Jeremy Lamb. That's the obvious answer. But it's just harder to do when a guy's owed $10 million, $10.5 million, and he's coming off an injury. He didn't look good this year coming off that injury. So, yeah, just a tough break. But like Jay said on the podcast, very similar to last time with Victor Oladipo, once teams see Lamb play and he plays well, then that might make his trade value go up a little bit. I do think so. It's just a little uh, disheartening, at least to know that in the beginning, Jeremy Lamb may be taking those minutes from Duarte strictly for that purpose. It's almost like you're hoping that he can, you know, get enough production out there to, to really get his value up, but it comes at the expense of getting Duarte those valuable minutes early on when it feels like, no offense, it feels like he could be the better player right now. We, we don't know what the health status is going to be of Jeremy Lamb. What kind of Lamb are you getting? I mean, it might not be Lamb from a couple of years ago, averaging 15 and a half points per game, or Lamb who started the beginning of last year looked really good. It could be Lamb towards, you know, the end of last year where when he was playing, it really wasn't good. And it was kind of a defensive liability. Yeah. No, that's the thing. I mean, they could go a little bit deeper in the rotation. I guess we'll talk about that later too on our questions, just to try to figure out a way to get Lamb some minutes. But I really do think that there's going to be a time where Carlisle does kind of like rest guys if there's back-to-backs and try not to overexert, maybe not play guys as many minutes. So that could create spaces there for Lamb to get into the rotation. I'm not really sure, but I don't dislike Jeremy Lamb. You know, I really was excited about the signing when we got him a couple of years ago, but the injury in Toronto, it was gruesome. I can't believe what how that happened, but just a big bummer for him. And I thought he had actually been playing pretty well without, you know, Vic in the lineup a couple of years ago. So I was, I was a fan of Jeremy Liam. And then when things went downhill, it just felt like it was, you know, there was just not a good spot for him on the roster anymore because so many other guys had stepped up and we were seeing Edmund Sumner play well. And it just, it just cut into Lamb's playing time. So the Pacers desperately need a third string point guard. I've seen a lot of fans saying, what about Kiefer Sykes, Kiefer Sykes, Kiefer Sykes. It's like, I don't know. I don't know if that's the answer the Pacers really want to invest in right now. They may want to give him that two-way contract. I think that's kind of what they're doing. They're probably going to leave that second two-way option available for him, Cassius Stanley, and then maybe uh, Tyrell Terry. So I'm not sure what they're going to do there with that situation, but I do think that it would be smart to look at some third-string point guards and see if that would make more sense than keeping Keelan Martin around, who might be a guy that's the 14th, 15th man in your rotation. I completely agree. Look, Martin did look better towards the end of the year. He really did. He started putting up a string of, you know, games and double-digit scoring. However, like we said, there's such a logjam at that two and three spot that I just feel like Keelan Martin is easily the odd man out there. The Pacers need a third-string point guard way more than they need Keelan Martin being like, you know, your your sixth option at basically the two or the three. It just it just feels like there's so many options there that it's just not a need for us right now. That third string point guard needs to be filled. Yeah, it really does because we saw it last year. McConnell and Brogdon were both out. Karis Lavarda to play point guard. Aaron Holiday played some backup point guard, but still with Aaron moving on, 
you know, there was times when we has uh, Nas Mitri long. I always think of AJ Price as the guy that the Pacers yeah. kept bringing back. Yeah. And I'm like, man, can we get AJ Price on a 10 day? You know, something like that. Cause I liked AJ Price. <laughs> I won't lie. I thought he was pretty good when he played for the Pacers. So, especially as a third string point guard, I mean, you can't get much better than AJ Price from UConn, right? So, I don't know what guys are really out there. I put a list out of players. You could have a Jeff Teague reunion if you want to go that route, but I don't think the Pacers really want to bring Jeff Teague back. I'd be interested in maybe Dante Exum just because he's younger, but it's it's quite interesting to see what they could do. I think there's some guys that could trade for. I know I had some fans randomly tweet at me talking about Memphis and what they did, trading Eric Bledsoe, getting Pat Beverly and Rondo back in that deal. Would they be willing to move on from one of those guys? It's like, I, I don't really know what Memphis would do, but I don't think you'll see Rondo uh, in a Pacers uniform with Rick Carlisle as the head coach based on what happened in Dallas when uh, Rondo was traded there. So I would just kind of calm down on that pipe dream, Foch. But other than that, I, I don't know. Do you have any other third string point guards that you think you might like for the Pacers? Man, I'd really have to see, you know, what they're going to do. I think it would probably come down to maybe, you know, using that trade exception. If it, You don't need to do use the full amount, but I think that's where the Pacers could get a little crafty. Right now, not sure exactly. I'd have to take a look at some some free agent point guards and get back to you. But uh, it, it's not a pretty list, I'll tell you that. Yeah, it's it's not. I, I have it here if you want me to list, read them off to you. Yeah, what do you got? Yeah, so I tweeted this out early on uh, Saturday morning at 12.14 a.m. I was up late. Uh, Dante Exum, Avery Bradley, Dennis Smith Jr., Brad Wanamaker, Jeff Teague, Tim Frazier, Frank Nilakina. Grant Riller, Tremont Waters, Frank Mason III, Matthew Delavadova, Shaquille Harrison, Mike James, and Chasson Randall. Mm. You know, honestly, one of the things that popped is Frank Nelikina because this is a defensive guard. The Pacers are looking to improve defensively. Um, you know, his, his shot, it's not great. He still is really young, 23 years old, former top 10 pick. If you're talking about rolling the dice on the third string point guard, I feel like Nelikina is not a bad option there. Yeah, he could be all right. I just don't know. I thought I saw him rumored to go to Phoenix, but it might have been the other Knicks point guard. Maybe it was no, no, it was Alfred Payton. Okay. Alfred Payton signed. And honestly, Nilakina has not had really any interest, which is a little bit surprising given how young he is. I know he played on Team France, and that might have uh, unfortunately set him back as it relates to playing in the summer league. I think he really could have benefited from that. The Knicks have pulled uh, their offer, so he is an unrestricted free agent. And I think that that's someone that uh, the Pacers could, like I said, roll the dice on, not have to play a lot, but still young enough to potentially develop into maybe not what he could have been being a top 10 pick, but just a good depth guy. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. I mean, whoever they get as a third string point guard, you really hope you don't get to see him on the court much, no offense, but you just, that's not who you want to see on the court. It's, if you have injuries, can we trust this guy? That's kind of the route they need to go. I get why Jeff T can make some sense just because he's a veteran. It's regular season. Brad Wanamaker, I think that's someone Keith Smith brought up on our podcast a couple yep. of weeks ago. So, you know, I, I got kind of see that. Dennis Smith Jr. did play under Carlisle in Dallas. Yeah. I'm not really he's, sure what their better relationship. years there. Yeah, I'm not really sure what that relationship is, but we, I mean, that might be worth investing in a little bit. I know that there were some rumors that he would like to resign in Dallas. So, We'll see what happens. But Vachi, did you have anything else before we take a break and get to our mailbag questions? Last name. What do you think of Corey Joseph as a veteran? Didn't he resign already with Detroit? Uh, oh, he did. He did. You're right. Okay. Yeah, so I Corey thought Joseph is off the list. Yep. Yeah. So if he was out there. Him. Yeah. If he was out there, I'd do that. And I want to say shout out real quick off topic here, but Gogo Batadze, 
I saw a post. I think it was our good friend Naptown Hoops posted this on his Twitter account. So basically, Goga posted a selfie and it just said peace. So it, it looks like Goga is getting through whatever he was going through. So that's good to see. Want nothing but the best for Goga. Wish he would have been here in summer league, but with him not being there, I do think that opened up opportunities for Isaiah Jackson and Amita Brahman to get some more playing time and kind of show the fan base what they can bring to the table. No doubt. Very happy for Gogo. Looked like he had a great smile on his face. It was the location on the photo is what was tagged piece. So it sounds like he's, he's at that place, you know, so I like it. Um, I, I think his, uh, his mental, you know, whatever you want to call it from a mental standpoint, get that as strong as possible and everything else will work out because there are things, unfortunately, that are bigger than basketball. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's take a quick break. We'll be right back and we'll come back and answer all of your mailbag questions. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, our thinking caps have been put on, and we are here to talk Pacers basketball and answer your question. So, Fachi, let's start things off here first with our man, Kevin Chaney. He sent us a question. He said, question for the mailbag. Could Duarte be a future starter for this team? And if so, could he mesh with the scoring heavy core of Levert, Warren, and Sabonis? Yeah, um, I definitely do think that Duarte could be a starter with this team, but – not really this year, though. I do think maybe he could get a spot start here or there if, unfortunately, we're dealing with injuries once again. But I, I do think that there has to be a move made to clear up some of that log jam at the two and three spot in order to open up minutes. Um, so I also do think that he can mesh well with that group. I mean, we yeah. saw that he was able to facilitate in summer league. I mean, he can create his own shot. Uh, so I think that that he can mesh with the likes of Levert, Sabonis, and a few others. So I'd be really excited to see them all together. Yeah, I, I really think he does fit in well nicely with that group, to be honest with you. He's a guy that defends, like I said earlier. He's a guy that knocks a three ball down low. He's very smart IQ. Really knows just – he's got a great feel for the game. I think he would just blend in right away. What we're seeing in the summer league a little bit is him kind of being the go-to scorer or the, or the guy that people want to see score the most because – He's that, you know, first overall pick for the Pacers. So that's why there's intrigue. But I think his role in the NBA, especially starting out, will be more of a diminished role where he's a role player, where he's there to play defense and knock down three. So I think he yep. fits in perfectly with that. And as a future starter, sure, maybe, yeah. I mean, I think there's some big question marks on what this team does in terms of its roster construction, even going past the deadline. Like, we'll see what happens if they make any trades in season. But I, I think that if he continues to play like he did in summer league, 
I get it. It's summer league, but if he continues to show those kind of things, he could be a starter. I know I said on our draft reaction pod that I'd never really saw him as a starter level player. I thought he'd be more of a high end bench guy, but you know, I was completely just caught up in the Moses Moody thing and everybody continues to hammer me about that on Twitter. Anytime I say anything about Duarte positively, everyone's like, well, what about Moses Moody? Are you still upset about that? Are you still sick to your stomach? It's like, man, this running gag is never going to end. Oh man. I don't know when it will. I I don't either. But at the end of the day, who cares? I'm just going to quit replying to people that say that to me. I've been, I've been jokingly replying back just for fun. Right. Cause I don't really care that much, but no, I mean, I, I think Duarte could be a starter. I think that he is exactly the type of player that you look for in today's NBA. And I just, you know, Moody could have been that same guy, but Duarte is our guy for the Pacers. And I think he can do it, Fudge. I think he can also. And look, it, it, this is not just like that you were wrong. I was right with you. I love Moses Moody. And at the same point, Moody's playing real solid in summer league right now. So um, he, he's someone who looks good as well. But I just think... I think that Duarte's ceiling really rose to the point where now you can envision him as a future starter on this team. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Fachi, do you have the next question up? Um, so let's see. I actually don't, but I can get the next one. Okay. I will go ahead and read this one if you want me to go ahead. It's going to be from Zachary Barnett. He said, I heard a certain Indiana sports analyst say that Duarte was going to take minutes away from Brogdon. Any thoughts on this? I really did not hear this. I think that Brogdon's spot at the one is is pretty uh, pretty solidified. So I do think that you'd be looking at more Duarte taking minutes away from the likes of Lamb, Sumner. I, you don't know the status of Keelan Martin. Um, those guys, I do think, will have minutes taken away from them by Duarte. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that Chad Buchanan did say that he thinks that Duarte can play three, two, and one a little bit. I kind of wonder if that might, because we saw him play a little bit of point guard in summer league, not a yeah. lot, but just a little bit. I've had some people ask me, Hey, you think he could be like the, a better version of Brogdon? And I said, man, have you been talking to Fachi or something trying <laughs> to get Brogdon off this team? But no, I mean, quite frankly, I, I don't think Brogdon by the end of his contract will be replaced by Duarte in the rotation. I, I really can't see Duarte taking his minutes right now because Brogdon had a heck of a season last year. He really did. Even if you don't really care for Brogdon or there's issues you have with him, statistically, Brogdon had a really nice season last year. So I think Duarte could play well with Brogdon, actually. I, I even said that earlier on a podcast that if that whole turn to the bench conversation we had, I, I said I wouldn't be mad if they started Duarte for Turner just because I feel like he fits with that group of players. So, yeah, I, uh, I like that idea of uh, playing him with Brogdon, but – uh, playing him at the point primarily, I don't see it, but there are times I think that if Brogdon is injured and they want to go with Levert at the point guard, you could see Duarte get the start maybe and kind of try to keep the rest of the bench intact, especially with McConnell keeping him on that second unit. And that's what I would prefer. I would rather have Levert be our playmaker at point guard and have you know Duarte as the two because I really do think that he can shoot and I just feel like that would be a better spot for him rather than being the main distributor. Now look, like you said, we've seen a little bit in summer league. I think he's been asked to do a lot very quickly. So it's led to some turnovers, but you know, he can definitely make some plays, but I, I prefer Brogdon and Karis Levert to be handling those duties. All right. You got the next question up, Fletch? I do. All right. So for our next question we have, do you think the Pacers, this is from um, Aaron M. It goes to at Hugh Pacers. Uh, do you think the Pacers regret not trading one of the bigs two seasons ago? Do you think one of them will be traded before the trade the trade deadline? Uh, yes, I actually do think that the Pacers regret not trading one of the bigs. I think now it's kind of known that the Pacers would like to move on. 
from one of their bigs. I don't think that that's really a secret. I don't think it's something that they've hardcore denied by any means. They've said things like we could stagger their minutes or see how we could make it work or bring miles off the bench. All that kind of leaves a little bit of, you know, holes into uh, those original plans. But I do think, unfortunately, Miles trade value is lesser than it was two seasons ago. I mean, I remember New Orleans dangling the fourth overall pick in the draft for Miles Turner. I mean, they've had interest for quite some time. We've heard other teams like Charlotte was really interested. And now I just think that there's not, you can't really say not a lot of teams. There's not really any teams that are really in the market to trade for a center at this moment. So I think that Miles Turner's raised his value. I think that in terms of, you know, his court play, I think he was really good last year. I think Sabonis has taken his game to the next level, but the market isn't there for centers. Yeah, I mean, we really haven't heard Sabonis' name mentioned in the trade rumors at all with the Pacers. So mm-hmm. it's I get why a lot of fans get frustrated because we mostly talk about Turner trades. But I think if you look at the, the history of what the Pacers have done, they've kind of showcased, hey, we're more willing to trade Turner than Sabonis. And that's kind of the route we've gone in looking at trade ideas because if they would have said – they're open to trading both. Like, I don't think they're like set in stone on not trading Sabonis if the right deal comes, but I just feel like they're more than, I'm not more than willing, but they're more willing to listen, I guess you could say, to offers on Turner than Sabonis. But I think you're right, Flatch. The moment they drafted Goga Batadze, both of their values were a bit diminished. I think Sabonis being a two-time All-Star, he might have got his up a little bit more. But in terms of play, I think Turner, like you said, he's clearly gotten better over the last two seasons. Like he's a better player than he was two years ago. But the center market, it's just not there for guys making about $18 million, teams that want to trade for a center. And it's just a weird dynamic. I mean, he's a good player. The Pacers clearly have listened to offers on him, but they're not getting what they consider fair value. So they're not going to do it. So they're being smart. They're keeping it uh, tight right now and and, and they're going to try to make this thing work and you know what at the end of the day let Carlisle have a chance and if we continue to see where it's not playing out the the best that it can then I think you have to move on eventually but come deadline I would I would be more surprised if they don't try to at least move one of them by the deadline but we'll see what happens I, I think that if they're playing really well though the Pacers might just hold off on doing a trade altogether. They very well might, and I hope that they do play well together. Um, it's just something that remains to be seen because, like I said, right now, it's just not the time to make a trade just to make a trade and then have it set this team back. The trade has to be able to be one that benefits the Pacers moving forward, whether that's you know pure cap flexibility plus young players or draft picks, or it's getting a player who is better than one of the bigs right now, and those offers aren't out there. Absolutely. So let's move on to our next question here from Zach Pearson. Fachi, where would you rank Duarte in comparison to the other lottery picks after seeing some summer league play? And what skill set of his has impressed you the most in the first four games of summer league? Well, just uh, to throw a few numbers at you, Chris Duarte is currently sixth in summer league and scoring out of all rookies. He's averaging 18.2 points per game. That puts him behind guys just like Cameron Thomas, who we knew was a scorer. Jalen Green, who's looked amazing, Bones Highland, Jalen Johnson, and Cade Cunningham. So you got right over there the top one and two picks. Then Cameron Thomas was was later, I want to say like 27th or so. Jalen Johnson was 20th. And then uh, Bones Highland, I want to say, he might have been around 18 or 17. Um, It was somewhere right around there. Anyway, so only a couple guys in the lottery before him. I think that Chris Duarte has outperformed a lot of the other guys, like, you know, for instance, like an Evan Mobley, or I saw that Moses Moody does look like he's played pretty well 
but Chris Duarte has brought more to the table, higher shooting percentages. Chris Duarte is shooting 45% from the field, over 48% from three. Um, he's also averaging four rebounds and four assists. Uh, we talked about his steals, 2.5 steals, 1.8 blocks. So I just think from a, a two-way standpoint, he's been one of the better players in summer league. And I do think that he's probably going to place on one of the summer league teams this year. Yeah. I, yeah, that's, that's very, that's very true. He's been really impressive. And in terms of lottery, like, obviously it's hard to compare him to the top two picks. In the yeah, draft exactly. Cause those guys were, you know, considered number one overall picks and most other drafts too, if they weren't the number one overall pick in this year's draft, I think Davion Mitchell deserves a little bit of love. Yep. I think that team has looked really good. I think they're in the championship. Actually, the Kings are, playing the Celtics so it means a lot for them it it does it's the it's the biggest moment in King's history in the past 20 years so no I'm just kidding but Davion Mitchell I I think this is a guy that Baja you were a little bit nervous about the Pacers drafting but I was if you go back and look at his resume he's won at every level that he's played at I think this guy's a winner I know it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for the Kings to draft another point guard but they like him a lot he can defend the lights out. I mean, some people were saying, like, there was a clip that went around, and they're like, oh, he's fouling. He's not playing defense. It's like, no, that kid was playing some tough-nosed defense. He knows how to move his feet. I think he's a good basketball player. Got a little bit ridiculed for this tournament run and not having a great season overall before the tournament. Forget all that. I mean, I, I was talking myself into not liking him either, but he's been good, and I think he's the only other guy, really, that we didn't bring up in that lottery that I've been really impressed with from what I've got to see. It's hard to watch all these games. I've been so busy this week, too. But in terms of the most impressive skill set, I think I hit on it earlier. I think it's just his basketball IQ. He really has a great feel for the game, knows where to be at, it feels like, at all times. I mean, I've never looked at him and felt like, man, he's really trying to jack shots here, or he's really trying to force, or he's really trying to control where he wants to be on the floor. I've been really impressed with just Duarte's maturity and how he's translated all of that into being just a good player and not having to like be like a Cam Thomas where he has to shoot every time he touches the ball. Yeah, no, it's true. And to, to answer that second part of the question, I would say his confidence and ability to create his own shot, it stands out. It really does. I mean, this is someone that I just feel like doesn't need to have someone set himself up. He can, he can take you on a step back. I mean, he can shoot it right in your face. I mean, he's not shy in the big moment. And for, for that to happen this early on, it makes me feel like it would be hard to imagine him just not being good. And, and the term you know, not being good is a loose term, but it feels like he can fit in with this team and be able to contribute on a nightly basis from what I've seen. It's not like, yeah. you know, one game he's come in there and looked really good and the other he's looked really rough and you go, Hey, that's what being a rookie's like. No, I mean, he looked like pretty much the best player on the court in most of the games. At least he was the best player in every Pacer game. Yeah, very well polished, I would say, mm-hmm. is a good way to put it. I mean, he's just, he's an all-around good player. It's just, I, I know it's kind of annoying. I keep saying it, but that's what he is to me. So, Fachi, can you read the next question? Sure. So, uh, for our next question, we had, this was from uh, Samuel Colbertson. That's at SJ. So that's at SJC2397. What is Chris Duarte's floor and what is his ceiling? So um, uh, I, I'll, let me answer this one first. Yep. I think I think his floor is probably hardwood and his ceiling is probably vaulted. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, uh, Sam is a friend of mine. That's why I had to do that. I had to cut you off. Sorry. But no, I, I think that his floor is kind of what we saw in Summer League, to be honest with you. I mean, like, I don't, I mean, I get maybe that's not fair. Maybe he's a bust. 
come come the NBA playing up against tougher competition. But I don't really see him. I think his floor is a is a I'll just say it this way is a bench player, never good enough to be a starter. I think his ceiling is an impactful starter, but probably not at the all-star level. I mean, he could maybe get there, Vach, but I think it would be really hard to see Chris Duarte as like a multi-time all-star. I mean, he's got the work ethic, so I just don't see him ever being like a top 20 player, but maybe top 30 at one point in his career, but I think it'd be tough. Yeah, I'm going to say that I think his floor, I think, is like six to eight points per game. It just looks like if you can shoot in this league, I think that, you know, his ability to shoot 48% this early on on seven attempts or more from three makes me feel like, hey, why can't this guy at least be a pretty solid three-point shooter in this league, a three and D guy? So I think his six to eight points per game is if his minutes are low and he's not getting a big opportunity. But, you know, either you can hoop or you can't. And from what I've seen, it just feels like this is the kind of guy who's working hard, who's going to continue to put in the work and will carve out more and more of a role as the season goes on. And I, I just like you said, I don't see him as an all-star. I don't, but I do see him as a starter in this league, whereas a kind of the best case scenario where he can be putting up 15 or more points per game. You know, how, how good is the team? I, I'm not sure, but if you're doing it from both sides of the court, you can carve out a, a starting role on one of these teams in the league. And I think that that's kind of where I see him as a contributing starter on a pretty good team. I don't know if I see him as a starter on a championship level team or an all-star, but there's definitely going to be a solid role for him in the NBA. Yeah, let's answer two more questions and then take a break. So let's go to our next question. This comes from Jordan S underscore 33. He said, do you guys think Duarte could surprise everyone and start maybe in a second season? Yes, I do. I really do. You're talking about, look, TJ Warren, you want to get signed. You hope that everything works out there and then you could you can get him signed. If Warren's not healthy and the Pacers would like to move on, you instantly have a starting spot right there. The Pacers also have their bigs dilemma, which I feel like this is probably the last year they go with Turner and, and uh, Sabonis moving forward. But then there's also guys like Lamb and Sumner who are likely gone after this year or maybe even before the year. So there's a lot of pieces, and then you still don't know what's happening with Brogdon. So it just feels like there's a lot of guys that could be moved, and I think that there's going to be a, a bunch of potential openings for Duarte to come in there and start at the two if they're going to shift you know, Levert over to point guard, if that ends up happening, or say maybe there's an opening. What if he's able to start at the three if the Pacers you know, move TJ Warren down to the four or have an opening due to a trade? So I'm going with yes. I think he can start in year two. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. It just depends on what they do. If they do break up the double big, that creates an open roster spot. If TJ Warren doesn't resign, that creates two open starting spots. If they trade Brogdon, that creates three open starting spots. Now, I think the likelihood of that happening is more so they trade one of the bigs and maybe Brogdon. So you're looking at maybe two, but I, I really think that if they trade Turner, depending on what they get back and, and based on what we've seen in terms of some of the stuff that's been reported, it's not been great. So I think that Duarte could eventually take that position, move Warren and Levert down, and maybe play Duarte at the two. It doesn't really matter. Him and him and Levert can play the two and the three. I think they're kind of interchangeable at this point in terms of who they guard and whatever. But that's a pretty good lineup, and maybe you can convert Turner into a you know a really nice bench player that can come in and then produce right away if Duarte takes those steps because. You might feel like when well, we didn't get fair value on on Turner, but if Duarte proves that he's worth playing time, then you got to give it to him, and that might come at the expense 
of somebody that's in the starting lineup. So let's move on. Last question before we take a break. This comes from our friend David Matillo. What in the world is the bench rotation going to look like? And which center Miles or Domas plays more with the second unit? All right. I would say, you know, McConnell obviously slots in as that first backup point guard behind Malcolm Brogdon. Then when you're looking at the, the two behind Levert, you're looking at Duarte, a combination of, you know, Justin Holiday, Jeremy Lamb, Edmund Sumner. Um, I don't think that Keelan Martin's going to be back. So I'd like to, I'd probably remove him uh, over there. Then, I mean, you're looking at the three. Uh, TJ Warren, I think, will probably start at the three. I think he could also obviously play a lot of four, but I think you start him at the three while you have the double bigs. And behind him, I think you're going to have Justin. Torrey Craig's role, I do not know. I do not. You know, where he's going to sl slide in there, not really sure. Duarte could also be battling for some minutes as the backup three. Then at the four, you're going to have Sabona starting. O'Shea is believed to be the backup, but, you know, we'll, we'll find out. That could change as the season goes on. I mean, he obviously looked impressive towards the end of last year. Uh, and then Isaiah Jackson, will he be able to get any minutes as a backup four? You know, because ah, it's going to be hard to get it at center. Don't spoil the questions. You know, and then also I would just say, hey, Miles Turner um, at center with Goga as the backup, I would assume, for now. Yeah, so in terms of my rotation, I think my second unit would look like McConnell, Duarte, Justin Holiday, O'Shea Brissett, and then probably Goga if I'm, if I'm looking at how I would want them to do it because I would like to see them get those guys more minutes. But if they're trying to kind of stagger the Sabonis-Turner minutes and they want to go with a 10-man rotation, you could technically not have any other centers in the rotation in the back up there. So you could insert a Tory Craig with moving maybe O'Shea down to the five, technically, if you're looking at it on paper, but really O'Shea would never play anything other than the four or Tory Craig would never play anything other than the four and turn on bonus would slowly split those minutes up at the center position. I could see them doing that. I know they probably want to get Goga at least around 10 minutes a game. Yeah, so, that's what I think. So that's, that's something they could do, but I'm just saying if they're like, Hey, we're going to start Turner bring one of them back on the bench after like three minutes, you bring in Duarte, you bring in Justin, you bring in McConnell, whatever they want to do. And then McConnell, and then that center comes in for the other center towards the end of the first quarter. That's how they could do the rotation a little bit and, and kind of stagger minutes that way. I'm, I'm sure there's ways Carlisle is going to figure this out, but it's difficult right now, but I would say Sumner's got a good, good shot at being in a rotation, probably more than Craig. I would assume just because the Pacers really like him, but at the end of the day, I don't really know. They've got to they've got to really fight for it, and there's going to be a competitive training camp, and that's what I'm excited for the most because we haven't seen that in a while. I think there's guys that are going to be pushed really hard, and it's going to make it difficult to sit guys because I think well, there's a lot of good talent on this roster. There really is, and I do think that at times competition brought the best out of guys like Aaron Holiday or Edmund Sumner. I felt like Sumner really rose to the occasion more on a nightly basis, so – I do think that the competition is going to help the overall team, but at times that uh, might hurt the individual players. So in terms of playing time, it's going to be yeah. interesting. I think it's a good problem to have. It's better to have uh, more options and less options. We saw how uh, the end of last year went and it was not pretty. So I'm looking to see these guys duke it out for the playing time and uh, hope the best man wins at each position. All right, Pachi. Well, let's take a quick break. Let's reset our minds, take our thinking caps off for a second. We'll be right back after this word. And we'll talk with you and answer your questions after this. All right. We are back and we have a question from, I believe it's Jason Lowe. Uh, that's at Jason L-O-U-G-H. 
He said, after watching Summer League, do you still select Duarte at 13 and Jackson at 22? If the draft is based on what we know now, is Duarte off the board at pick 13? Ooh, good question. Uh, do you want to take it? Yeah, sure. I, I think that I am selecting Duarte and Jackson. I mean, they, they've proven nothing but, hey, these were great picks in Summer League. I mean, they haven't done anything that makes me think, man, we should have picked somebody else. Now, sure – you might look at like a Cam Thomas and be like, well, should we have taken him? He had been like a spark plug off the bench. Nah, I, I think he's going to be a summer league guy. He might be a pro guy. I don't know, but I've got, I'm getting summer league vibe guy from him, but that's just me. I, I wish him nothing but the best, but yeah, I think that Duarte could have went higher than 13 based on this. I'm really glad we didn't get Corey Kispert. I'll just be honest and say that's the guy I did not want. I was really nervous about that. Like he would have been okay, but Duarte is just way better to me than Corey Kispert. Um, Moses Moody is a guy that we've been talking about, Fachi. I, I, I mean, he it still would have been really exciting for me if we got Moody over Duarte. But I think Duarte is showing us all that, hey, he's just as good or maybe even better. So, yeah, I, I think that I'm really happy with this. And what the Pacers have done, they've gotten two guys that really fit positions of need, and they, and they fit what we don't have in terms of athleticism by getting Isaiah Jackson. We don't have anybody that athletic on our roster now. Uh, or up to that point, and adding him really does help this team get more athletic, like Chad Buchanan mentioned last year when we drafted Cassius Stanley in the second round. Yeah, I mean, they've obviously been targeting more athletic players. Cassius Stanley, like you said, we've, we've never really gotten to see him get as much playing time as we hoped. But Isaiah Jackson, I mean, immediately looks like one of the most athletic players we've had in recent years. And I, I do think that this guy is going to be a really good shot blocker. He has time to develop where he's not going to be rushed. In terms of reselecting Duarte at 13, I definitely do it. I, I strongly feel that he has outperformed a lot of his competition. Um, now, when it comes down to would I still pick Isaiah Jackson at 22, I would, because I do think that he might have been the best player on the board. When you brought up um, a guy like Cameron, uh, Cam, uh, Cam Thomas. Cameron Thomas, Cam Thomas, we knew he could score. And this man is leading summer league and scoring almost 27 points per game. Sure, I would have liked for him to be the third string point guard on this team. But I like what you said there of where I do think he's going to be a summer league player. I wouldn't be surprised if Isaiah Jackson had the better career. But Cameron Thomas just looked like a guy that could heat up at any moment and score. So it'll take a couple of years. Uh, if Jalen Johnson was on the board at 22, I would have loved him. But he wasn't. He was picked at 20. So I stick with the same picks. Yeah, just remember, Trey Young had a completely awful brutal summer league. Everybody hated on him, but I think I ripped made him better. Bad. I and was wrong. Everybody thought Chris Dunn was going to be the next guy after summer league, and look what happened there. So now he's on a on a Boston Celtics team, and they can't even really get rid of him. So we'll see what happens, Fotch. But I, uh, yeah, I mean, nothing against him. Like Cam Thomas was a guy the Pacers really liked, and there was rumors that they could pick him as high as thirteen. So he's, I think he's got game. But yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with our picks. Let's move on to our next question. This comes from Josh Hinkle. Do you guys think that if the Pacers can make a big move by moving some players like Lamb, Turner, Brogdon, et cetera, um, they could be deep playoff contenders? Fachi, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I wish I had a better answer for you, but I really don't think so. I mean, I just don't see a path right now to jump Milwaukee, Brooklyn, or really even Philly this year. Um, I do think that if the Pacers are going to make some moves, uh, it would probably be the moves that maybe free up flexibility moving forward. Um, so make sure you're not paying the tax. I just don't see this team being like a, you know what, we're going to go all in right now. So I think it determines on the health. I think that if the Pacers weren't healthy, they might even go the other route 
and kind of deal one or two players for more of a future related move, even though they said they want to win now. So I don't know how we're going to be able to jump into that top three. I, it doesn't seem attainable for the next year or so. Yeah. I think what the hardest part for me is Josh on this answer is I don't know who we're getting back in this trade. Exactly. And without knowing who we're getting back in a trade, how can I say we're going to be better? Like if we're getting Dame Lillard in this trade package, then maybe we do. But if we're getting Ben Simmons and that's it, I don't know if he really puts us up above those top two teams. Now I'm not as sold on Miami and Philly right now because I think there's some incompletes, but Milwaukee and Brooklyn are the teams to beat. I could see us maybe cracking top three. I really could. I know that Miami on paper looks really, really good, but I think defensively they're much better than they are offensively. I think the league has become a more offensive minded league and I'm not sure who's going to score the bulk of their points. I mean, I know that Jimmy Butler is really good. I'm not trying to discredit him or anything, but there was a lot of points last year where it was just really bad scoring drops for them in the playoffs. So keeping an eye on that, I understand Kyle Lowry is a nice pickup as well, but yeah, I, I, I think the highest the Pacers could get if they made a big trade, hoping they get back a star or an all-star or something like that, then yeah, I think they could be as, as good as a top three if they were able to keep the core three together of Sabonis, Levert, and Warren. But aside from that, I just don't really know who they're going to get, Fodge. So that's kind of why this question is hard to answer. It really is. But for our next question, we have PDP. Uh, You're killing me, PD. That's PD underscore Pete. And he said, who are you giving the third string point guard to? A, Dwayne Washington, B, Kiefer Sykes, or C, a free agent yet to be announced? What do you think? C, a free agent yet to be announced. I am right with you right there. Look, we saw Dwayne Washington's shooting abilities flash at times, specifically game one. He was eight of nine shooting. Kiefer Sykes. It's a great story of how he got here. I'm not ready to, you know, be handing him the keys to the third point guard role. I just think that right now, hey, there's got to be someone out there that has more NBA experience, which obviously there is, um, or someone that you could bring in on a trade. And I would rather that player get the, those third string point guard minutes. Yeah, completely agree. I, I haven't seen enough from Sykes or Washington nope. yet to really trust in them. It's only been summer league, so hey, I mean, sorry, but it's just what it is at this point. So let's move on. Patrick Fagan at Patrick 61332429. Love the name. Love the picture. Looking good, Patrick. Do you think that the penalties for the brawl were even close to fair? Uh, I, I do. I mean, look, I think that Ron Artest getting the full season, I mean, they had to make an example at that time. The NBA really needed some change. Look, I was one of those where I remember in that moment being like, hey, they haven't solidified if he's suspended for the playoffs. Maybe he can come back. I truly <laughs> remember that. They almost um, let him. But- uh, yeah, yeah, but in the end, you know, they ruled against that. Jermaine O'Neal did get his initial 25 games shortened to 15. Steven Jackson stood at 30 games. It was the Pistons players that really didn't get much. I want to say Ben Wallace got like five. Six other players, stupid six, games, that's Six it. games, and other players got like one. Um, so it, it was unfortunate, but, hey, I mean, there was, uh, there was uh, some pretty crazy stuff that went on the court that night. Yeah, so here's what I will say. I think the penalties for the most part were fair. I don't think Artest should have been suspended for the entire season, but they were trying to send a message. I think 50 games would have been good enough. That would have given him like 10 games left in the season to come back. Maybe I'm just being selfish because I'm a Pacer guy, but I just feel like the entirety of that whole thing happened because of a Pistons fan. And if you look back at it, you have to send the message. Yes. But at the same time, who knows if Artest even wants to come back if he's suspended for 50 games. And he, he talked about like, he hates that image of himself in a Pacers uniform. That's why he wanted it to be over. But 
what I will say, I don't think the penalty was harsh enough on the city of Detroit and those fans. I, I think, unfortunately, I'm just going to say it. I, I think they should have banned fans from home games for the rest of the season for Detroit or something along the lines of like a couple months because I get it. While it wasn't every single fan in there that was doing something, there was a ton of them that threw something on the court, dumped liquids on somebody, you know, the guy that threw the beer, the punches that were thrown, people coming on the court. That city should have taken they should have they should have really hurt that city by not allowing fans to come back into the games for at least a couple months. Because to me, what kind of precedent are you showing? Hey, fans aren't allowed to do this. We're gonna up our security, but hey, we're still gonna take their money because that's what we want is the fans' money. We're not gonna punish them for basically doing what they did and causing this whole thing. I get it. Our test did partially cause it by going into the stands, but by not having security NBA. And by not having things figured out where they could literally just have access to throw beers on them, that, that to me is a, is a red flag on the NBA and a red flag on that fan base. They should have been more penalized than they were, Fudge. Yeah, I mean, I definitely couldn't imagine an empty stadium by any means uh, at that point. You know, I, I think that would have been uh, a bit unheard of. But, yeah, obviously the Detroit fans did not um, receive enough consequences. Yeah, maybe a whole year of that would have been a little rough, but maybe like at least like four or five games no fans and, and really set a precedent because to me, it didn't do anything. It just more of these fans got famous than anything. Of course. I mean, they enjoyed their 15 minutes of fame. We saw that in the documentary for sure, but moving on to our next question, Tony Fry at Mandan 86. He said <laughs> Brogdon goes where in a trade new Orleans or the Clippers or where is his best fit and best value for the Pacers? Josh Hart possible and sign trade deal. Well, that can't happen because he Not just anymore. he just signed a three-year deal with the Pelicans, or he's expected to. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think Josh Hart is going to come here, but I do like Josh Hart. I was a little bit surprised he was on game. the table that long. I'm surprised nobody picked him up. I think people just ran out of money for him, but I like Josh Hart. I think he wanted a little bit more than the MLE, and there just wasn't a lot to offer out there because of the crazy pandemic season. But, yeah, I don't really know where Barogna makes the most sense. New Orleans made a little bit of sense when they had Lonzo, and a sign and trade, but now what do you really want from them? I mean, that's the big question. The Clippers, what do you want from them? Do you want Eric Bledsoe? No, we're not doing that. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense either of those teams. I don't really know where his best fit is at, but his value in terms of what you could get, I mean, I think Dallas could make some sense for best fit, I guess, but Toronto maybe, I, I just don't really know. I think it's going to be a team that needs a point guard, but if that case, the Pacers would need a point guard. So it's got to be a trade that is like a point guard for a point guard where it helps the Pacers. Yeah, when they say, you know, best value, it's like, you know, if the Pacers are able to work out a crazy trade, I think he would be good in Philly. Uh, yeah. I do think so. But when you mentioned New Orleans, like, it's starting to dry up over there. I know that they would have a need at, at for Brogdon, but in terms of their trade package, I mean, you're really looking at maybe Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and I really don't know what else you're going to have to offer there. So Tyra Lewis. <laughs> yeah, it's just it, there's not a great offer there. For the Clippers, they really do not have much to offer. I mean, it would have to be, you know, Bledsoe's expiring, basically. I know he's only guaranteed like three under $4 million for the following year, so it's almost an expiring deal. And then they really don't have the picks to back it up. And then it's like, would you do it just for Luke Kennard? It's like, that's not the move you want to make. So no, I, I just I just feel like those are not the, – the Clippers in New Orleans, not appealing teams to trade with. 
Uh, Philly, I just feel like, look, they're only going to make a move for Brogdon if it's a huge Ben Simmons deal. So not really sure where else would be a great value. You know, didn't didn't go through all teams in the NBA. But uh, for now, I think let's hold off on dealing Brogdon unless it's truly, you know, the right offer. All right. This question comes from at Indy Pacers NBA. He said, Duarte over Sumner right now. Do you think that any of those two can play as a three? If so, would you be open to trading Justin Holiday? So I am Chris Duarte over Sumner right now. I know we've had one or two listeners basically be like, hey, what's up with the Sumner hate? But it's not hate. It's that we've talked about it before. Duarte is the pick that you just invested in. He's the guy that's looked really good, better as advertised in Summer League. And hey, you want to get him going. He's obviously someone that other teams coveted while Sumner is entering a contract year where realistically the Pacers probably aren't going to pay him. So are you really going to play a guy extensive minutes that you're not going to play when he's not a starter on the team? You know, it's like, it's not like you're talking about, Hey, look, this is TJ Warren, but he's entering free agency. Mm, We're not going to play him. No, no, the Pacers need him. It's Sumner that you could, you know, technically do without. He took a big step forward last year. I like the growth. We've heard that he's improved on shooting, but I'm Duarte over Sumner. No doubt right now. And yeah. Justin Holiday for the last part. Sorry, Alex. Yeah, no, um, I would be open to trading Justin Holiday because his salary, right around six point six million dollars, is very appealing to a either combine with a Jeremy Lamb. Now you're talking about bringing in someone near seventeen million. Eric Bledsoe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's, I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> there's, there's yeah. Not, I was not ready for you to throw Eric Bledsoe out there, <laughs> but um, Justin Holiday is a player that has three and D capabilities. He stayed healthy. It fits a lot of teams' needs. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think that Justin Holiday, eventually he's not going to re-sign here with the Pacers, probably when his contract's up because of Duarte yeah. and what they have at the future of this team. I think Duarte is more of an investment than Edmund Sumner. I've talked about this before just because Sumner only has one year left on his deal and Duarte has two plus, a, you know, a two-year team option they can pick up. And then after that, they'll hit restricted free agency. I mean, you're talking, you could have Duarte for eight to nine seasons here where Sumner is only guaranteed for one after this. So, I mean, that's why I think the long-term view is to invest in Duarte, play Duarte over Sumner. But if Sumner earns those minutes in practice over Duarte, then, then give it to Sumner. But I do think that they both can kind of play the three. Not like great, but I think Duarte is better at the three than Sumner would be. But they can play together on the wing. And in terms of Justin Holiday, like he's a good player, but I, I wouldn't be opposed to trading him if you get the right deal. I mean, he's a guy that could make some sense if you included him, like you said, in a bigger trade. Like when we were talking – pre-draft and we were looking at some of the Warriors stuff like it made sense to include him in that trade because he would make a lot of sense on Golden State for what he does defender that shoots the ball well so he can be very serviceable to a lot of teams it just depends what he's going to get back and if you could get a first round pick for him back that'd be that'd be really interesting as well even if it's a late first round pick because a late first round pick turned into Isaiah Jackson that we saw this season so I I mean that's that's kind of the route I would look at Fachi if I'm looking at maybe moving on from Justin. Yep, and as it relates to who I'd rather play at the three, I'd go Duarte. He's 6'6", compared yeah, to Sumner bigger. being 6'4". I know that Sumner's long, but it just feels like Duarte can be more of a playmaker while also likely being a better shooter. I know Edmund Sumner shot good from the field last year, especially from three, as basically about 38 39%. But I do think that Duarte is going to be a better shooter on a higher clip. Yeah, so let's move over to Instagram. we got some questions here. This comes from Kuma31. He said, did Isaiah Jackson do enough to play himself into Goga's rotation minutes with his summer league play? 
Look, I would like that to be the case in terms of at least just seeing Isaiah Jackson, but this is a make or break year for Goga. I hope that everything is going well in terms of, you know, he was dealing with the loss of a family member. Isaiah Jackson did flash a lot of potential, but being, you know, year three of Goga, the Pacers need to see if there's anything there moving forward or if they need to, you know, potentially package him up. So mm-hmm. I do think Isaiah Jackson, they have more time to wait on. I think they knew that. And I think that he could benefit by playing in the G League. So for right now, I do think that Goga is going to get the first crack at those minutes over Isaiah Jackson. Yeah, but I think that Isaiah Jackson is going to be breathing very closely down Goga Batadze's neck, letting him know, so. hey, I'm, I'm here to compete at training camp. I'm not here to just be a G League guy and, and not get a chance at the rotation. I mean, look, Goga saw proof his worth. I think both these guys could really be trying to just crack the rotation period because like I said earlier, if they go with the two the two bigs with Sabonis and Turner and try to stagger their minutes, you might not have hardly any minutes for Goga either. So they're going to be battling against each other, but they're also going to be battling against the two guys in front of them as well. So there is an opportunity for Isaiah Jackson to maybe play some power forward. We've seen that a little bit in summer league where he's the four with Brian as, as the five. But mostly I, I, I see him as a five, but I can see him as a four. He's really athletic, able to defend multiple positions. Quite frankly, to me, I think he's kind of insurance. They do move Miles Turner. That's what I personally believe because he does some of the same things Miles does in terms of shot blocking. And he's not nearly at the level that Miles is at right now, but he's a probably a better rebounder than Miles is overall. I think so. But that's not a knock on Miles. It's I not. just I just think Isaiah Jackson's got a great feel for rebounding. I mean, he's just really good at it. So that's where I would lean towards. But yeah, I don't think either of them really get significant minutes in the rotation, but you're right, Goga probably is the guy that gets more. Let's move on to our next question. This comes from Juan Judah. He said, I'm really impressed with Duarte, but what is a realistic role for him this season? Is six man a rational thought? Look, you're not like too far off, but I think it's safe to say that TJ McConnell is the sixth man on this team. And then I feel like Duarte could hopefully be able to get, you know, you hope for that first crack at the backup two guard minutes if they can clear things up. Now, Things could change if they're trying to get, you know, Jeremy Lamb's trade value up. Maybe, you know, he's playing a lot more in the beginning of the season while also TJ McConnell is playing more. But I just feel like Duarte, I would like to think of him as potentially that seventh, eighth guy off the bench. Well, not seventh or eighth off the bench, but seventh <laughs> or eighth man. I knew what you meant. I knew what yeah. you meant. Yeah. I was like, well, Fachi really putting no, him on there uh, on the depth right there. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. you will. But I actually, you know, I hadn't really thought about it, but now that I'm thinking about TJ McConnell and Chris Duarte playing together. I'm excited. I think I like this it. could be really like fun. Tenacious-wise, we saw how fun Sumner was with, with McConnell. You put those three out there together, I think you could really have some fun. You'd have a quick team. You'd have a really defensive team, and I think a really smart team. Um, Justin Holliday is another guy that's really smart, too. O'Shea Brissett's a guy that I think could get better on the defensive end. I think he, he flashed to me more offensively than he did defensively during the regular season. But, yeah, I, uh, I'm really intrigued by Chris Duarte. So, Give him the six-man role. I mean, I'm all for it. I mean, let's let's get this guy as many minutes as he can and see if it translates to the uh, to the regular season and what we can maybe hope he could become and get a nice glimpse of that future. But Fachi, what's the next question? So next question was, uh, what external factors, ideas, or new front office personnel would help the Pacers move off a risk-adverse approach to roster building? So what would make them, you know, get a little bit more risky out there? And Honestly, uh, I'll take this one to start. Um, I think 
winning perhaps might be the only thing that could really force him to be a bit more aggressive. And I think that yeah. you could then also take it the other way and say, hmm, well, then couldn't that make them just want to run it back again? But I do think that if the Pacers were to make some noise, maybe lose in like a game seven of the second round, they would say, hey, we might be maybe one or so moves away from you know, pushing for, you know, deep conference finals run, or maybe, you know, getting into the NBA finals, it still seems hard to really sell yourself on right now. But I think if injuries happen, they could go in the opposite route and then go towards a rebuild. But I think that this is the time period where going on a run, like a true run might have them say, Hey, let's make an aggressive move here. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really the the perfect answer, Fachi, just winning, you know, Mark Montez said it. You're not gonna want. You're not gonna watch a bunch of guys that are good guys. It's, I mean, if they're not winning, and then you don't care. It don't matter how good the guys are, or how fun they are. If they're not winning basketball, you're not gonna be as invested. But I do believe that if you are invested in a winning basketball team, you might be willing to make more, you know, risky moves. Look at what Larry Bird did. He traded Danny Granger. Didn't work out, but he did trade him. He, he was swung. trying. He, he, did. he did. He was trying to make moves. I applauded the moves at the time because I said, man, we're going to get Bynum. Are you kidding me? You're going to sign Bynum. We're going to trade for Evan Turner. We're going to put this team together. You know, I I mean, it it didn't work out clearly at all. I mean, those were terrible moves and people make fun of it now, but in the moment, everyone was excited because Andrew Bynum Bynum was good (laughs) at one point in his career. So yeah, I, I like the idea. It's always tough because as fans, you think they should do something as podcasters, we kind of influence some ideas and it doesn't help because then fans get excited and I get that's why trade talk can be a little bit confusing and frustrating because things we say usually doesn't happen but we're just thinking of ideas to get the team better it's just brainstorming out loud is what I would call it on a podcast but at the end of the day it doesn't matter um the, the, the team is going to do what's best for the team and winning the most basketball games is what the Pacers do you might not like Herb Simon you might think that he doesn't go into the luxury tax enough but I don't blame him if you don't have a championship level team, why spend the extra money that you don't need to spend just to be competitive in the regular season? I mean, the, the, it's it's hard to get players in here. We know that. That's not an excuse. But they've got a good roster now that I think would be easier to break up and maybe move off some guys to go get some pieces. What really needs to happen, Fachi, is the Pacers need to hit on a trade like they did when they got our test in that Brad Miller deal. Find a guy that's a little bit of a diamond in the rough and hope that he can become somebody great. Hey, they did it with Oladipo and Savonis, so they've, they've done it before. They did it with Jermaine. I mean, it's happened before. It could happen again. Um, so now we have uh, on Instagram, we also have from Fester35, how big of a rotation do you think we were on? Personally, I see 11-man rotation with Turner, Savonis, Warren, Lavert, Brogdon, McConnell, Sumner, Holiday, Brissett, Pitaze, and Duarte, which still leaves... Toy Craig with no minutes. Does Taze get dropped out of the rotation? Um, Alex, I would just say to start over here, it's going to be tough to get 12 guys minutes per night. It really is. So right over here, I just feel like either Toy Craig is not getting minutes each night, Goga's not playing, or you were definitely trading Jeremy Lamb before the season starts because the locks are going to be Brogdon, Levert, Warren, Sabonis, Miles as the starters. Then you're going to have McConnell, Duarte, you imagine is, is getting a role. Brissett, you imagine is getting a role. Justin Holiday, those, those guys all kind of feel like locks to be getting some playing time. So it, it's really going to be tough to get 12 guys minutes per night. It could only end up being 10 or 11. Yeah, I think it's going to be a log jam there between Sumner, Brissett, Batadze, and Torrey Craig. I think those are the guys that are going to be fighting for the minutes the most. 
I think McConnell, Justin Holiday, and Duarte, those would be my locks to get playing time in the rotation, starting things out. While we really like what Brissette did last year, I still think that there could be some like, there's things he could improve on. And I think that, hey, he might get outplayed by a, a Tory Craig because he's a better defender and they might like that instead. But I, I know the pace is really high on O'Shea. I don't want him not in the rotation. I actually want to see him play. He was one of my favorite players last year. So I'm not saying that's what I want, but I could see where they're like, yeah, we want more of a veteran presence. We've already got a rookie in there, a guy we're more invested in. You know, Brissett's still on that non-guaranteed contract. I didn't think he was really a starter level player last year. I thought he did a good job filling in when he needed to, but he's a bench guy. So, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a tough place, but that's like we said earlier, this, this roster has talent and in this 11 man roster with including, including Tory Craig, not being in a rotation, he didn't even mention Jeremy Lamb. So mm -hmm. it's just, it's, it's, it's a tough spot to be in Fachi, but we'll move on. We've got a two part question here from slick, uh, slick Ricky. It, uh, he says, question, Pacers were on the road to a 51 season in 1920. Do you think with the same roster and a better coach, we can make that happen again? He also says, with Chris Duarte's amazing summer league run, does it give you a hope that Rick will play a rookie? Look, uh, I do think that 50 wins for the Pacers, they do have a shot at it. Is, is it likely? Probably not. But at the same point, I think that the Pacers could easily be between, say, 45 to 50 wins. So uh, with a healthy roster, that's what changes things. I mean, we really didn't get to see T.J. Warren last year. Everyone really dealt with injuries at some point for the most part, other than Justin Holiday, and Sabonis was real, relatively healthy. Um, but a lot of guys missed a lot of time, and I think that bringing in Rick Carlisle and very capable assistant coaches like Lloyd Pierce, who just started with Team USA, won a gold medal, I think that that's really going to help this team play together not play for career-high seasons like guys did last year where I think that they played for a lot of accolades. I think they can play together. And I do think that this Pacers team, you know, they have uh, – they love nothing more than winning 49 games or, you know, right in that 48-49. So I could see them, you know, potentially finishing, say, 47 wins or something like that if things go right. Yeah, I think we can chalk this up to the Chris Duarte Mailbag Podcast because we've got a lot of questions about him. And I understand why, because he's been really fun to watch in summer league and fans are excited. So please bring him on. I'm, I'm always happy to talk about Chris Duarte. Yes, I think he should crack the rotation. Yes, I think Rick will play him. So that answers question two. In terms of question one, it's a great question because really they were, on a, they were on the trajectory to get to 50 wins without Vic. Now they've got Karras there. They've got Warren there healthy. I mean, they could be. They could be a surprise team. I think a lot of teams are counting them out because they had one bad year last year. But Carlisle has always overexceeded with rosters that might look a little bit flawed on paper. I think Carlisle has the tools in his bag, you should say, to really figure out how this is going to work. I, I think he's going to make the proper adjustments to get the best out of this roster. Even if they win 45 to 50 games, I don't know where that puts them at seating-wise because there's a lot of good teams in the Eastern Conference. But I truly believe that Rick Carlisle can get them into that top four to six range. But at the end of the day, it, it really just depends on health watch. It really does. And I realized that didn't answer the second part for about Chris Duarte. Look, I do think that his amazing summer league run does give, um, give us hope that Rick will play him because I think he's just exceeded all expectations. And how do you keep a guy like that out of the rotation right now? And it just feels like the competition that we spoke about. I think that the best players will rise to the top. 
And the Pacers obviously need to clear up that log jam a little bit. Sound not to sound like a broken record, but once they do, I think Duarte is going to be one of those guys that rises to the top of the rotation for the backup two guard minutes. Absolutely. So our last question here comes from one of our first and faithful listeners, the one and only Ed Lawley at the Source 94. I know his handle without even looking at it because he's been that awesome to our podcast. Thanks, Ed, for supporting us. Shout out to you. Fachi, his question is, since the season has ended to this point, has Miles Turner's value risen or dropped? I would unfortunately have to say that it's dropped, and I don't think that it's anything you know to, to blame Turner for. It's just like I mentioned earlier, the market for centers, it's almost non-existent. The amount of teams that either drafted a cheaper center or maybe even just re-signed their own for cheaper, it's just there's really no one that is willing to, you know, pony up for a center right now through the trade market. So I think that Turner put together one of his best years last year, but just the market in, in the past was higher. Teams were offering more assets that now there's just not many takers. I completely agree. The center position has just become one of those Positions where, like, you, you saw it, like the Hornets, they have been rumored to want Miles Turner for, you know, years upon years, and instead they go out and draft a guy that's going to be really raw. He could be a major bust. He could be he could be a big boom. I mean, he's got a good three-point shot in Kai Jones, but they also went out and traded for Mason Plumley, you know, and then the Pistons went back and signed Kelly Olynyk, and it wasn't even close to what Miles is making. It's like 9 to $10 million in that range, so – I think that the center market really, aside from what Jared Allen got, it's been very low. And I think that Turner is a really good basketball player. I mean, clearly what he did on the defensive end last season was just remarkable. And it was, you could tell his presence was really missed when he wasn't on the floor because of that rim protection. So I think the Pacers, you know, they, they have tried, I think, to find a nice spot for Turner to land the last couple of seasons, but it hasn't worked out. Turner is a good basketball player. Whenever he is a free agent, if he's not with Indiana, I think that he's going to do well wherever he goes. He's just he's just that talented of a basketball player, personally, to me. I just don't think his fit with Indiana right now makes the most sense. But we'll make the most out of it, Fachi, because we want to see this guy grow with, with Rick Carlisle. And if they can figure it out, then, hey, we get to keep him long term. Because one of the guys that everybody talks about that I've talked to growing up said that was like fans wanted him gone half the time was Rick Smith's. Back and forth, people are like, we got to get rid of Rick. You know, he, he he falls away in big games and, oh, he doesn't get enough rebounds. Dale's better, Antonio's better, and then Rick hits a game winner against the Magic and everyone's in love with Rick, right? So I think that this is kind of a similar comparison with how fans view him. I think Rick might have been more important in terms of offensive wise to the Pacers mm-hmm. than Miles is now, but that just love-hate relationship. But I will say this. I put a tweet out and I said, who is your favorite Pacer player right now? overwhelmingly miles turner dominated the, the responses in that in that question and he's the longest tenured pacer i wish him nothing but the best i hope he has a great season this year and whatever happens with him whether he stays or goes let's just make it work out fudge no doubt one of an ab- absolute fan favorites like you mentioned i mean this guy is one of the greatest guys you will meet off the court i don't i haven't heard anyone really say anything bad about him as a person ever i mean Hey, you're gonna are you gonna criticize someone for being you know maybe not as good of a rebounder as you hope? Hey, look, that's just being a basketball fan. All right, he is a very that uh, a lot of teams are very interested in. It's just like I said, 
It's different when you have to give up certain assets to make a trade fair. There's many teams that if free agency hit and they could sign them outright, they would. So, yeah. um, you know, we'll see what happens. But for now, I hope that Carlisle is able to uh, get the most out of the double bigs because Bjorkren couldn't do it. Nate McMillan really couldn't do it. So, hey, we're, we're, mm. we're turning our – well, McMillan did a pretty good job with it. He, he did. He, de- he definitely did. I mean, I don't <laughs> think it was great, but they, they had a positive, you know, rating on the court together. So, hey, I mean, it's hard to ask for much more than that. So I, I would just say, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, what Rick does with both bigs. I feel like him and Miles Turner started working together what felt like right away. And, you know, the last couple of weeks, I've really enjoyed seeing that. Absolutely, Fachi. All right. Well, that wraps up our mailbag podcast. We will not do another one of these until later in the season, once the season probably starts, just because, you know, there's not as much to talk about. We spent a lot of time talking about the rotation today, Chris Duarte and the double big. So had a lot of fun answering those questions. Always love the listeners feedback and their questions because it means so much to us. that You guys are tuning in every week to setting the pace, but Fachi, where can they tell their friends to find us out on social media? You can find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F a C C I. And you can find us on Instagram at Pacers talk. And at the end of the day, if you're excited to see how Rick Carlisle uses the double big, say these three words, let's go Pacers. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.